We'll see or we'll see. Those phrases sound very, 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 very similar, but they are worlds apart in definition. Right? I mean, if your supervisor at work comes up to you and says, hey, I will see to it that you get a raise, your confidence level is pretty high if he says that. But if you go to that same supervisor and say, hey, can I have a raise? And he says, hmm, we'll see. Your optimism kind of flows out the window, right? I think kids, kids have learned to define we'll see very well. They usually know it means no, right? Hey, mommy, can we have a new puppy? Oh, we'll see, right? Uh, Daddy, can we stop for ice cream? Well, well, actually, that one's usually a yes. But, uh, <laughs> but Dad, can I date this boy? Mm, we'll see, right? <laughs> uh, teacher, teacher, can we have another recess today? Oh, we'll see. Huge difference between those two phrases. What about when it comes to God and His promises? In our life, do we adopt a God will see this through or a God, well, we'll see if God sees this through type attitude? That's kind of the question we want to answer today. As we look at Genesis chapter 22, that section of God's word uh, that we read just a little bit earlier. And again, you know, the, the, this is just a phenomenal chapter. Uh, that I, I think is worth dozens of devotions and, and hours in Bible study. This actually was, uh, Genesis 22 was the focus of our men's breakfast Bible study on, on Friday at, at Bonanza, so a little commercial. Guys, if you want to join us the third Friday of the month, 6.30, you get a good breakfast, but we spent time in this word. And so there, you could really exhaust section, or Genesis chapter 22. The, the main player uh, that's, that's there is, is Abraham. And, and Abraham is this guy uh, that, that we see God gave him tons of opportunities to adopt either a will-see or will-see attitude when it came to God's promises. Hey, Abraham, pack up your stuff and just go to a land I will show you. Will-see or will-see. Hey, 75-year-old childless Abraham, I'm going to make you, your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Will-see or will-see. Hey, 99-year-old Abraham, by this time next year, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the ancestor of the Savior of the world. We'll see, or we'll see. For the most part, God worked in Abraham a faith that adopted a will-see attitude when it came to God and his promises. Oh, every once in a while, there were some exceptions. But for the most part, he trusted, he believed in God's promises that God will see this promise come true. But then comes Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham is tested like he has never been tested before. As God says these words, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Our first reaction when we hear those words is, what in all the world is God doing? How cruel. 
How could God ask someone to sacrifice his own son, his long-awaited son? How mean of God. And yet, if you look back at the, the beginning of this, of this section, it starts off and says, remember what it says? It says, God was testing Abraham. God was strengthening Abraham. Just like you take a knife and you forge it, you know, you put it in the, the heat and you pull it out and cool it and you put it in and cool it and heat it up and cool it. The more you do that, the stronger it becomes. That's what God is doing here. He is strengthening Abraham. It is for Abraham's good. The fact that we are talking about this 4,000 years later maybe lets us know that God knew what he was doing when he asked Abraham to do this. But we don't have to sit here and defend God's action. That's always a dangerous thing to do. God doesn't need us to be his defense lawyer. All right? He can defend himself. So let's, let's look at this section of God's word from, from Abraham's perspective. Let's, let's look through Abraham's eyes at what's going on here in, in Genesis chapter 22. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering at a place that I will show you. That is what is replaying again and again and again and again in your mind. As you start off, as you take this three-day trek, 50-mile trek with your son, two servants, and a donkey. Just imagine what that would have been like. Imagine the lump in his throat that, that, that is there. Imagine the heartache that, that Abraham is, is feeling. Imagine the, how his, his feet would have just been like cement, you know, not wanting to plod his way to go. I don't know if we can even put that into perspective today. With their permission, I asked the Gonzaleses uh, because it, it fits so well, but they drove 50 miles to get here today which is about the exact distance that, that Abraham would have traveled. And so if you're starting off in Dayton there, so you guys left, I don't know, what, 8.15, 8.30 this morning to get here, right? Imagine if, if Al and Max, if you had to get up early Friday morning to get here, because that's what it would have taken for Abraham to get on this track. So you get up at the crack of dawn on, on Friday morning, and, and you, you don't take go through Virginia City. That's too tough a terrain. So you go around, and you get to Washoe Lake, north end of Washoe Lake, on day one, Friday night, and that's where you camp out. And Al, you haven't told anybody yet in your little entourage, and so I doubt you sleep a wink that night as you're camping out there, knowing what's awaiting for you. The next morning, you get everybody else up, and you and the two servants and Max, and you, you travel up, and you get to, on, on Saturday night, you get to the Spaghetti Bowl, Reno, Spark, you know, where I-80 and 580 meet, and you camp out there somewhere, maybe, I don't know, GSR, maybe you camp out there, somewhere in there. And, um, and again, you know, you're not sleeping a whole lot. And the next morning, today, Sunday morning, you don't have as far to go on the third day. Imagine what it would be like, you know, when all of a sudden God says, oh yeah, you see that sign that says exit 78, Red Rock? That's the place. 
Imagine the lump in your throat as you're bringing Max. And I use Max as an example because I think sometimes, you know, we don't know exactly how old Isaac was. Uh, if you look at all the scriptures and you look at some of the words that are used, uh, best guess is that he's, he, he's not probably this little kid. He's probably 15, 16, 17 years old at this time. And so, you, you know, you're, you're bringing Max and all of a sudden you see that sign. Oh, yeah, there it is. There's the exit. And I can imagine that lump in your throat only getting bigger and your, your ache and your heart swelling even more. As you know, this is the place where the rocks will soon be stained with the, the blood of your son. And you get off, you start walking off that off-ramp from 395, and that lump gets a little bit bigger even more, and that heartache swells even more. When all of a sudden Max says, uh, Hey, Dad, my son, you know, you want to sound tough, you don't want to give anything away, my son, that's what Abraham did. Um, Dad, we got the... We got the, the fire, we've got the wood. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? It's not only Max who would have asked that. It's not only Isaac who asked that in our lesson. Think of how many times we ask that of our God. Where's the lamb? You know, he provides us with this, and he provides us with that, but something seems to be missing in my life. Where's that lamb, God? You know, maybe he's blessed us with health, and he's blessed us with wealth, but maybe, you know, we're, we're looking for a, a, a God-fearing spouse, or we're waiting for a child, or we're waiting for a grandchild, or we're waiting for something to happen with our family life, and it's not there yet. Where's that lamb, God? Something's missing in my life. Or maybe God's given us that blessing in our family and, and maybe he's given us wealth, but, but maybe health. Maybe a clean bill of health is, right, is missing from our life right now. We say, God, where's that lamb? Or maybe he's given us health and maybe he's given, blessed us with some family uh, structure right now that's a real blessing to us, but maybe it's the wealth that's missing, that, that God's not providing something that I feel that I need in my daily life right now. God, where's that lamb? What's missing in your life? How many times have you metaphorically asked that of God? God, where is it? Do you have a will-see or a will-see attitude when it comes to God's promises to take care of you? Listen again to what Abraham's answer was. When Isaac asked the question, where's the lamb? Abraham simply says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God himself will provide. That verb there, God himself will provide, literally that word is a, is a word of sight. That God will see, will see to it that you get what he promised you. What a beautiful comfort. Huh? Now, did Abraham see how was God, God was going to provide? No. Abraham had no clue how God was going to provide, but he trusted 
God will see to it that that promise is fulfilled. I mean, the book of Hebrews gives us a little bit of insight as to what was going on in Abraham's mind at this moment. Uh, Hebrews says, it says, you know, Abraham was thinking in his mind that, that God was going to raise his son from the dead somehow. And, and so I don't think Abraham is just playing lip service when he, when he leaves his two servants and his donkey at the spaghetti bowl and goes on to this place. He told them, he said, hey, we're going to go and we're going to worship. And then he goes on and says, hey, and we're going to return back to you. I, I, I think he really believed that, that we will come back to you. How? He didn't know. But he simply said, God will see to it. And you know how the rest, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Let's, let's just summarize the rest of the story, what happened. So, so Abraham and Isaac go that, that next four or five miles. They get to the place. What do they do? They take stones. They take stones and they build an altar there on, on Moriah, on the mountain of Moriah. And then they take the wood that now Isaac had carried himself up that mountain. And they place that wood on top of the, uh, on top of the altar. And then they bound. Uh, they take, Isaac is bound up which again, maybe is a little bit of a clue that, that Isaac was in on this. I said, very likely he's in his teenage years. Let's say he's 16. I think a 16-year-old could have outrun or outmuscled his 116-year-old dad, right? But he's in on this. Uh, what a testimony to his faith as well. And, he, and so they, they, Isaac is bound up. He's, he's placed on the altar. And, and then here you have Abraham. Abraham taking this knife and he's about to slay his son. When what happens? Then the angel of the Lord, which is another is a nickname for Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus before he's Jesus, Jesus before he takes on human flesh, is usually what the, the, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament refers to that. So the angel of the Lord cries out to him, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. And what has happened next? Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now I just want to point out maybe two things from this summary statement. Oh, first of all, to look at at, at what Abraham says here. What does he call that place? The Lord will provide. Do you remember what he told Isaac as they were getting off the off-ramp? And he said, hey, where's the lamb? It was a little bit different. Similar, but different. He said, God himself will provide. And here he says, the Lord himself will provide. Now he's talking about the same person, so it's maybe semantics. But there's, there's a neat little nugget of truth in this. Whenever you see that name God, it really is a, is, it stresses the power and the might of God. He's not human. He's God. And so he can do anything he wants. And, and that makes sense when, you, when we hear what was going on in, in Abraham's mind at this time. He's thinking, okay, he's going to raise my son from the dead, so I'm going to need God to be God. He's going to have to do something miraculous, something I couldn't do. He's going to have to show his power. He's going to have to show his might. But after this all plays out, it says the Lord will provide. 
And that word Lord, that name Lord, when it's all capitals in our English Bibles, that was a special name that the Lord would use for himself. A name that stressed his his faithfulness. This was his personal name. A, A name that stressed that he's the God of love. A a, a name that says he keeps his promises. A name that is also, sometimes you've heard elsewhere in Scripture, it's called the I am God. I am always there for you. What a beautiful promise. What What a neat little insight that not only do you have this powerful, mighty God who will provide, but now, now Abraham realizes that the personal God, the God of faith, the God of love, saw him in his need and would provide for him as well. And then again, look at that that verb, provide. I said before that that word is really a word of sight. Um, you, You could translate it, the Lord will see. And I remember teaching this in a Bible class many years ago and I made that point that, you know, everywhere else in the Bible, this is usually translated, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, So why didn't they just translate it on the mountain, the Lord will see? Good question. But look at that word provide. Pro, beforehand, like a prologue or a prototype. Vide, same word as our video, which means to see or something visual. Provide really means the Lord will see beforehand. And you think of that comfort for you and for me. That the Lord sees beforehand what you and I need, and then he delivers on that promise. And you apply that to our life is that I don't know what mountain range God is going to lead you through, what terrain you're on right now. You know, it sometimes seems like God leads us to these impassable mountains where not even chain control will get us over the summit, right? We don't know what's around the corner. We can't see it. But the Lord does. The Lord will see before you and I do. And the Lord will provide. And so I don't know what mountain you're facing right now. But whatever it is, those stones that Abraham and Isaac built there on that mountain cry out to you today. They cry out to you the same thing that they cried out to them. The Lord will provide. I guarantee it. And this is why we can guarantee it. Because 2,000 years ago, another beloved son carried wood up a mountain. And he was bound. And he had a thicket around his head. And as he was bound and placed onto that cross... What happened? God, our Heavenly Father, took his knife of judgment and he didn't spare his son. With a thicket around his head, he took on the brunt of our sins. Why? 
He took on that knife of judgment so that we wouldn't have to. To take that knife out of Abraham's hand. To know that we don't have to suffer for our sins. He took on, God saw to it that his son would suffer in our place. God saw to it that you and I wouldn't have to pay for our sins. If the Lord saw to it that he would fulfill that promise that he made to Abraham, if the Lord saw to it that he would fulfill that promise that he made to Isaac, that he saw to it that he fulfilled that promise that he made to you and to me, you can be guaranteed that no matter what is facing you in life, the Lord will provide. You don't have to. You don't have to have a will-see attitude when it comes to any of God's promises. Because through Jesus, they are always will-see. Amen.